Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, I want to welcome Dr. Irina Scott. Her publications include books and works in peer-reviewed scientific journals, magazines, and newspapers. And her photography has also been shown on television and in magazines, books, and newspapers. The Defense Intelligence Agency employed her in PhD-level research in satellite photography, including in its Air Order of Battle section, which involved aircraft identification with above-top-secret sensitive compartmented information clearances. She served on the MUFON Board of Directors 1993 to 2000 and is a MUFON consultant in physiology and astronomy and a field investigator. She has taken a scientific approach to the UFO phenomenon and published papers about UFO data in peer-reviewed scientific journals, including the American Association for the Advancement of Science Publications. Dr. Scott, welcome. How are you tonight? Just fine. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been looking forward to tonight because you've done years of research into the phenomenon and have been to facilities like Wright-Patterson Air Force Base with high-level clearances, working with individuals that probably know about black projects and have been involved with possibly exotic materials, craft, and even beings. Um, and you've also had a few of your own personal experiences and that's where I'd like to start tonight. Um, I understand even as a child you had um, a strange experience at your house, is that right? Yes, I did. Um, it was when my sister and I were real young kids. I think maybe I was six and maybe she was four. And um, we had never heard of UFOs or anything. We were poor and lived in a farmhouse out in the boondocks and didn't have newspapers or TV or anything. And um, what happened was is that we slept in an attic room on both sides, one bed on one side and one on the other. And uh, one night after we went to sleep and it was dark, and it was actually, I should mention, it was a clear night too, no storm, um, we woke up. I didn't know she was awake, and she didn't know I was awake. But we both apparently woke up at the same time, and this thing was flying around in our room. And I had no idea what it was, and neither did she, and we didn't say anything to each other because we both thought each other was asleep. But it looked like hot metal. And I didn't, I didn't know what it was, but I was just curious, just like, what on earth is that? And just watched it. And it flew around the room, and it was just kind of like it was browsing. And it came close to us a couple of times. And it looked to me just like hot metal, real hot metal, like iron that's heated until it glows. And it was fairly small. And it was flying around the room. And then after a while, it... Um, it was kind of browsing, like it was just looking around or something. That's a subjective opinion. But after a while, it flew up to the ceiling. What was odd about it was is that it didn't bump into anything. I mean, if it came to a wall, it would turn before it got to the wall. If it came to furniture, it would turn. And so it was like it knew what was in the room. The room was dark. But it 
didn't bump into anything or even back up. It just seemed to know where everything was. Wow, that's very interesting. Did it make any sound? No. And um, it flew up to the ceiling, toward the ceiling, and before it got there, it turned. And there was a chandelier in the middle of the room that was turned off. And it flew across the ceiling. It was in an attic room, and the walls slanted up toward the ceiling instead of being straight walls. There was about a three-foot distance between the top of the two walls, and the chandelier was between the top of them. Well, it flew to the chandelier, but didn't quite make it to the chandelier. And it started circling, and it circled just perfectly between the chandelier and the walls, just like it knew where everything was. And it kept circling and circling and circling and circling. And then it just made a perfect spiral down under the um, chandelier. The spiral kept getting smaller and closer to like a line right straight down from it. And then suddenly, we both became terrified, just all of a sudden, and started shrieking and ran from the room and fell down the stairs because we bumped into each other and ran shrieking to our parents, <laughs> and they didn't believe us. But it was pretty funny because it was years before we ever heard of UFOs, and it was year, many years after that before we thought that might be a UFO. But um, so we had no idea what it was and didn't have any exposure to even the idea of aliens or UFOs or anything at the time. Wow. And that was the um so that was the last event for for a good while that that occurred that was uh i guess uh paranormal or, or ufo yeah i read many years later a book by jenny randalls who said that sometimes people have experiences when they're kids like with small ufos in their bedroom and then they have experience with larger ones and i think that kind of happened to us but um it was many, many years before I read that, and at that t at the time when I when we finally heard of UFOs, we just thought of those as airplanes or something, and didn't think of little things flying around the room. Right, and uh, you actually had another experience. I believe it was with your sister as well when you were driving, right? And this was with a, an actual craft. Yeah, um, we're kind of weird because usually that happens to one person that they have an experience when they're young and old and in our case we both had it together so you know nobody could say you're crazy because we both saw it um when we were older we were both living on the coastal states she was in new jersey up by new york and going to drew university and i was working for the defense intelligence agency and we decided to take a trip to the New England states because we just hadn't been, you know, around the East that much and hadn't been to the New England states. And so we were just going on a vacation. The last thing in our minds were UFOs. And so we, um, we were going up to look around Boston and the New England states, and we went up to boston and it was still daylight and so we went on up to new hampshire and later i found out that the place where we kind of were in was kind of the last part of where the um betty and barney hill um encounter took place but we didn't know it then but anyway we came back and we were going to stay all night in boston but it turned out everything seemed to be filled up and closed and so we were going to go look around the outer belt of Boston for a place to stay. And as we were leaving Boston, we get, began to see this thing to our south. I don't know how late it was at night, um, but it was definitely dark and everything by then. It was a you know, reasonable clear night, I think. There wasn't any storm or anything. And um, we were going out toward the outer belt. And... Um, we saw, we kept, you could see airplanes, and there was an um, airport south of Boston called, I think it was the Norwood Memorial Airport. 
and we could see airplanes coming in and turning on their landing lights and landing and they looked like normal airplanes they'd have you know the red and green lights and the landing lights and stuff and no problem but there was this other thing we kept seeing and it was just one white light but it kept blinking and not real fast like a strobe just slowly and my sister started saying she thought that was a ufo and i started saying oh it's a helicopter and so we were arguing and we turned on the outer belt and i was getting kind of mad at her because she kept looking at the thing and saying what is that and i thought we should be looking for um hotels or motels and so we followed it down it was real noticeable but i kept telling her it was a helicopter blinking its landing lights which i'd never seen before but <laughs> that's the only thing i think of it might be right. and so um she said later that it would move real fast and it would be one place and then it'd be someplace else and i wasn't watching it at all you couldn't help but notice it but i just thought well you know anything if it were a ufo all the police and everything would be out looking at it and it'd be on the radio and everything and so um we got on route 95 which is the north and south freeway that goes up along the coast and we were going down there and um there was a woods and i saw this thing in the woods that was like a round thing it was like a um like sort of like a baseball that you could see through like it was glass or something and on the inside of it was a light and it was going through a spectrum like it, it was different shades of blue and different shades of red and it would just go through the spectrum and it seemed to have something on the outside like a thin band that seemed to be rotating around and i couldn't imagine what it was and then the inside of our car lit up in green and you know it, now i know about ufo's and i've heard of things like that but back then i didn't know a thing and i couldn't imagine what was going on and i looked all over to see if anything else was green and nothing else was green and the light in the woods wasn't green and it was kind of close to the ground and i couldn't i had no idea what it was and my sister kept saying that she thought that was a ufo and i kept arguing with her and so we continued driving and the car was lit up in green for a while and then it went off the inside of the car i couldn't see anything on the outside though it was green and then um my sister started yelling at me to stop because the thing was going to go over the road and so i stopped and pulled over and i pointed my hand out the window and i was going to say see it's a helicopter dingbat and then i realized that she was wrong i mean that i was wrong and um the first thing i saw when i looked out was like a real far distant meteor and then this thing came over the trees and it was definitely not a <laughs> helicopter it was totally silent and we could see these big square windows there were seven of them and it was just like we were real close to a house or something looking in the windows there were just windows it, i mean it looked like windows we discussed whether they were panels or not and we both thought they were windows it was like we were seeing through windows it wasn't like panels but they were blinking in a sequence of and i'm not too sure what the sequence it was it was like the first three were off and on and off and on and then all seven were off and on and then the last four were off and on and then it struck the cycle again and it was really bright light on the inside and we kept saying are there you see pilots and we didn't see anything it was just like the walls inside were glowing but it was awfully bright and it had one little red light on one end and one little green light on the other it didn't blink at all it was going um like perpendicular to our line of sight it wasn't coming toward us or anything and so i had a um 
Polaroid camera in the car and high-speed film 3000 ASA it just happened to have with me. And so I got them both out and started trying to load the film in the camera. It's sort of hard with those old Polaroids because you had to clean the rollers and things like that. And I was loading them. And I was about ready to take a picture. And this truck driver came over in front of us and parked. And he came back. And I thought, oh, this is nice. We'll have somebody else, you know, another witness. Won't this be great? And he came back and stood right beside me and said, what are you doing? Or what are you, you know? And we looked. I pointed at it and said, oh, we wondered what that was. We didn't say UFO or anything. We just acted like it was an airplane because, you know, he was a man and we were standing there and that makes you nervous. But anyway. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We pointed at it, and he turned around just exactly the opposite direction. He just rotated around and looked in exactly the opposite direction of where it was and said, I don't see anything. And then he was sort of, I mean, I, you know, was nervous around a man anyway that was standing beside me in the dark and, you know, and so anyway, he turned back and then he asked me the same question again. And we both pointed because there was this big thing up, you know, that you could see like crazy. And he turned around and pointed his head in the opposite direction again and said, I don't see anything. And then he sort of pointed his head like, you know, the crazy sign. And he went back to his truck and sat there and kept watching us. Well, I had just missed the best picture you could ever imagine because I was talking to him and I was scared to take the picture. And, you know, I could just take a great picture and I knew about photography and everything, but it was a little too late by the time I finished talking to him. And my sister said that I think apparently while I was talking to him or something that the object had gone real fast and moved someplace else. And I didn't catch that until many years later when I read her <laughs> report. And then I realized she was probably right. But I still wanted to get the picture. And I was afraid, I it was a high-speed film, but I was afraid I'd get um, light from the freeway in the film. And so there was a hill beside us. And I ran up the hill. And the hill was bald on top so that I could see the thing and tried to focus. It was handheld and everything. And I took some pictures of it. It was way off in the distance, but um, I still got the pictures and came back. And I forgot to mention that right when we first saw it, my sister said that it shined a light in the car. And I didn't see that either. But um, we didn't fill out the fill out the forms for CUFOs until many years later, but we didn't discuss it much either. And I had made notes right when it happened to make sure I could report it. I was working for the DIA, so I certainly didn't want to report it then, but I intended to report it later. But anyway, then I took the pictures, and one of them turned out, and the thing went over to the airport, and it started circling, and it would circle in this thing of during the north to south part of the circle, it would turn its lights on twice, it would turn them off, on, off, on. And then when it went from north to south, in the other part of the circle, it was so fast you couldn't even see it. It was just like instantly. And that was weird too, and we heard noises like, it, it sounded like a jet or like a sonic boom or something, but it didn't seem to be in phase with the um, with the movement of the object. And so I couldn't, I was trying to figure that out. But then what happened was is that um, I didn't know 
where it would go and we wanted to follow it and try to figure out what it was. And so I thought it was going to go north because it's just a little bit north of us. And I didn't really know. But anyway, I thought I'd get on the freeway and go to the next interchange and turn the car around and come back. And so I got on the freeway. Well, the man that we had, the spooky man that we had talked to. Yeah, yeah. He was in a truck. It was a like a large U-Haul. And he started following us. And he didn't, it wasn't like he was following us. It's like he was chasing us. He got right behind me, right behind my bumper, turned these bright lights on. And truck lights are a little higher than car lights. And so they shone right in my mirror, and I was just blinded. And I couldn't see, and I was driving on the freeway. And I had this truck right behind me, and if I switched lanes, he switched lanes. And if I slowed down, he slowed down. He stayed right on my bumper. And I was fairly terrified, and I didn't know how to get rid of him or what to do. And I finally decided what I'd do is to go to the next interchange and from the left-hand side of the road so he wouldn't suspect that I'd swerve off the road. And that was real dangerous because somebody might be coming faster behind us. And I was going as fast as the car would go anyway. And so I asked my sister if she could see behind us. And she said, no. And I don't think she realized we were in danger either. And so anyway, I got to the next intersection, swerved, and got rid of him, which I was happy about. And so anyway, I turned around and started back north. And the thing was still circling the airport. And we had, when we were watching it, we had seen airplanes not landing while it was circling. And um, we discussed it, and we could hear the airplanes, but we couldn't hear the thing. We never heard the thing aside from that sonic boom type thing we, were, we heard. And um, so then we came north, and we got about to where it was, and it started northwest. And so we followed it, but the roads went north and south and east and west, so it was hard to follow. We had to zigzag. But anyway, I followed it, and there was that green, that thing on the side of the road that was um, changing colors, and the inside of the car lit up in green again. And then we kept on following it, and we followed finally. We went uh, on 95, and then we went on the... Um, outer belt and then we went on another road that went west and then I found this gravel road that was really bad and it was had potholes and the houses were a long ways away from each other and you couldn't turn around and so I f f started following it on that but it was just uh, so that it just went to the speed it was pretty slow but I couldn't go any faster in the car than what I did because of the potholes and everything. And finally, I just gave up because I thought I'd um, tear the car up. And so I turned around, and we couldn't find any motels, and we finally went all the way back to Drew, and we got back there about six. And uh, Bud Hopkins had asked me if we had missing time, and I think we could have, but we didn't have our watches. And so we called our parents and told them what happened and um, told our roommates, which laughed at us and everything. And I was supposed to pick up two coworkers I'd taken up there, and I couldn't, somehow they couldn't get me. I don't know why. But anyway, I stayed um, all night, and then I waited the next day to get my coworkers, and they wouldn't, somehow they just didn't see, they were real mad at me the next day and said they couldn't get me, but they knew where we were. And so I went back to Washington, D.C. And then that night I had <laughs> poltergeist experience. So it was quite an adventure. Wow. So you had a, a poltergeist experience after that. That is crazy. Now, I want to go back to uh, the strange guy that you were trying to get him to look at this object, and he was looking the opposite direction, you said? Uh-huh. Now, do you think that he was, was somehow connected to this phenomenon in any way? I mean, he started chasing you. That's very odd. Well, yeah, and thinking about it later, if you're a person and you point at something, 
well, the person looks and say, look at that, and you point at something. Well, the person looks where you're pointing. And somehow, he didn't have a human, I mean, even with a dog, if you point at it, they look in the direction you're pointing. And we pointed, and he asked us, what are you doing? What are you looking at, or something? And we pointed. And both times, he just turned and looked in the exact opposite direction. And so I think there were, I think, from that that maybe he was connected with the ufo instead of being a normal person <laughs> i mean that was because it seemed like such an odd reaction and he did it twice that is very strange and um you said you had a paranormal experience after uh, i find that with a lot of people that have ufo encounters and contact experiences that there's also some sort of uh, paranormal encounter that they have sometime in their life. Is that something you've come across in your research? Well, at the time, I had never heard of poltergeists. Or I didn't know much. I was in science. I had my degree in science and everything. I didn't know anything about that. And I thought I was going insane. But what happened was is that that night when I got back to Washington, I was in my apartment, and it was dark. and I went to bed, and I started hearing footsteps in my apartment, like there was a man walking around with shoes. And they would start and stop someplace, and then they'd start and stop someplace. And there was a little bit of light coming in, but I couldn't see anybody. And when it got close to my bed, I'd try to feel it, and there was nothing there. And I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And I was terrified, but I went to sleep. And then my alarm went off. And I thought it was morning, and I got up and started making breakfast, and I thought, it's dark. It's not the right time. And I looked at my clock, and it was 1.30, and it was, the alarm was set at 1.30. And I couldn't figure that out because it was real hard to set my alarm anyway because the little nub had broken off, and I couldn't turn it. I usually used pliers. And it was set right on 1.30, and I tried to set it back on 6.30 whenever I got up, and I was terrified, and I put a chair against the door, but I went to sleep again, and then the alarm went off again, and it was 2.30, and I went to sleep again, and the alarm went off, and it was 3.30, and it went off at 4.30, I think it went off at 5.30, and I couldn't figure out what was going on there, because I couldn't figure out how I could I had a, in order to see the alarm, I needed the clock and set it. I couldn't set it anyway that accurately because I couldn't twist it. And I'd need to turn the light on to set it. And I think, you know, if I did that, I would know it. And so I couldn't figure out how the alarm kept getting set. And then after that, um, I was sitting on my bed and I was afraid I'd just gone insane. And I had this real high security clearance, and so I was afraid to lose my job. And I was thinking, how can I disguise it if I'm crazy and having hallucinations? And then my toothbrush just flew from one end of the <laughs> to the other and hit the wall. And then everything was over with, thank heavens, and it didn't happen. Wow. Now was it that's did the the phenomenon just kind of ended after that? Well, I didn't know what was going on, and it was years later that I read about the people that have UFO experiences and may have poltergeists, and I had never even heard of poltergeists, and the only thing I thought at the time was I'm going insane, but it stopped happening, and I went to work, and I wasn't insane, so things turned out, and then, you know, many years later, I found out about all that. Yeah, the the more I research the phenomenon, it seems that um, there are a lot of connections with the paranormal. A lot of people who experience it uh, also have uh, paranormal experiences. Um, it goes very deep when you start to research this stuff. Is is this experience, the, the UFO experience, is that what kind of got you interested in the research? Yeah, eventually. It was years after that before I got into it, though. I mean, I always intended to um, report it. And that night, after the poltergeist experience in the morning, well, I took a, whatever, back then they had legal pads, and I wrote everything in detail. 
so that I'd have a record of it because I intended to report it sometime, but it was years and years and years before I reported it. And I was in science and, you know, I definitely wouldn't report it when I was working for the DIA with a high security clearance, but I didn't, it was quite a few years later before I um, reported it. Now, how did you get involved working with the Defense Intelligence Agency? Well, I had always wanted to be an astronomer ever since I was a kid. And I majored it in college, but when I looked for jobs, they didn't hire females. And I would apply, go to them to apply, and they would refuse to give me an application. And they'd say it's male only and everything. And so I couldn't get into that. I mean, maybe there were some ways to get in, but I was we were poor and I didn't know a thing about anything. So I kept applying and everybody kept saying, we're not going to hire you. We're not going to give you a application and so on. And so they were, they had, um, they were mapping the moon and things. And so I tried to get into uh, cartography, first of all. And I got into cartography for working for the government. But when I got my security clearance, instead of working for the moon, they put me in this satellite photography stuff. And then... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I decided to go to the DIA and see what my luck was there. But instead, I was still in satellite photography over, you know, Russian territory and that sort of thing. And so I never got into astronomy, but that's how I got into that to start with. Now, when it comes to what our government is doing, uh, when it comes to UFO research, first of all, do you think that we have um, certain black projects um, that have actually reverse engineered craft? And if so, how much of the UFO and UAP phenomenon we see today is actually our own military and black projects i don't know because i think if we had real ufos that we'd take over the world and so i don't think we have them um i could be wrong but um they seem a lot more complicated than our aircraft to me from what i've read about them that they can merge and you know, go into different, one will be flying around and it can change its appearance or orbs can change their appearance and they can have things come out of them or go back in, and things like that, which see, seem much more advanced than our aircraft to me. Now, you know, based on some of the information in your books, um, you obviously you know, believe that there is some sort of cover-up, which I believe as well. Um, you know, based on your experience working uh, with high-level clearances, what are some of the experiences or red flags that you come across that would lead you to believe that there are cover-ups in progress? Um, one thing is, is that working for the Defense Intelligence Agency, um, they kept pretty well track from satellite photography of all the um, aircraft that, I mean, well, I was working on like Russian things, but I think they kept track of all the aircraft every place. Um, they had what you'd call targeting information and they knew all the airports every place and they kept, they watched for, you know, every type of aircraft and things. And I think now they probably have videos of all the aircraft all over the world with their satellite photography. And so I would think from that, that they would have, um, you know, 
videos of UFOs too. But you know, never they never say anything about it, but I would certainly imagine that they do. Now you uh you've actually worked at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Uh did you ever witness anything there that was uh unusual or anything that would lead you to believe there's underground facilities or anyone that you've talked to there that has given you any information uh along those lines? Uh I didn't work there. I had been sent for conferences and stuff and been allowed on base and I also knew somebody that worked there, the archivist and he gave us a tour too. And um, so I'd been on base. Um, there's a lot of informants, like if you just go to Dayton, Ohio and sit around, and once I was in a restaurant looking at a UFO book and somebody just came up to and started talking to us and said, well, he knew his uncle who worked there and they had, you know, knew where all the bodies were and everything. And you hear that all the time. And that's what Leonard Stringfield wrote books on. Um, but uh, Wright-Patterson is very, very, very secured. Uh, it has the Air Force Museum, which is a family-friendly place and everything. But, and you think, you know, you just think of the Air Force Museum, but all the rest of it is surrounded by chain link fences and guard posts and everything. And the public isn't allowed in. So you can't just browse through and look for bodies or anything like that. Um, but there's a lot of stories about it. And since I had been on, on base, I just roomed around, looked at the buildings and took pictures and things. Not obviously, but you know, I took pictures. And um, there were a lot of places where people uh, had said, um, and that their informants said that there were underground chambers and vaults and storage places. And in several buildings, for example, one of them was the avionics laboratory, which is a big building. And informants had said, that there's a big um, elevator in it where big trucks can go down and go into these chambers and that that's where they keep the bodies and the UFOs and crash and debris and stuff. Well, I was at, when I was driving around I, in back of the building where you couldn't really see it from any place except on base, there was this big ramp that went to the building and it was a real heavy-duty ramp, like about four lanes with um, very build-up and everything so that big trucks could go in. And then there were doors that were real tall. And it did look like trucks probably went in there. So that sort of checked out. And once the story was is that in the parking lot beside the building, that um, that was where the hidden, the buried chamber was. Once driving around there, I saw a whole lot of digging around there with big diggers that went down deep. And it looked, it didn't look like they were just resurfacing or anything. It looked like they were digging deep. So that made me think that maybe there were chambers down there. Um, another place that was really interesting was, have you ever heard of the Blue Room? I was just about to ask you about that. You read my mind. First yeah. of all, explain for those that don't know what – what the blue room was supposedly used for. It was supposed to be a place that had bodies and um, that the story was it had the bodies and it had crash debris and UFOs and things. And Goldwater had tried to, had asked about going to see the blue room. And the person he asked got real mad at him and said, don't talk about that again. And, um, and some other people had been trying to get in to see it. And been rejected. Well, <laughs> the archivist on his last day of work there invited another person and I into the meeting in this really, really, really secured building. And we had a we attended a meeting about UFOs, and um, I wasn't really impressed with the secured building. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. It was the um, National Air and Space Intelligence Center. And 
um, years later, that was identified in a book by Tom Carey and Don Smith as the Blue Room. And so we were in there, but we didn't know at the time we were, I was pretty impressed, but I'd have been a lot more impressed if I knew that was considered the Blue Room. Um, it was, it, it, when I didn't know a thing about it, when I was just on base looking around, well, Moose, it, the area is real secured with chain link fences and everything, but there's one, this one building that was a whole lot more secure than everything else, and it had cameras on the top and all these instruments around the um, on the lawn and everything else, and it was that building, and that now has been identified as the um, Blue Room. But at that time, I was just impressed with its security. But I think it's possible it was um, because it was certainly secured, a lot more secured than any other building there. Now, do you think if there was any type of um, projects going on dealing with UFOs or alien bodies, do you think that any of that is still going on at uh, Wright-Patterson? I don't know. There's all kinds of stories that they moved everything to someplace else in Area 51 or someplace else and all that. And I just don't know. Um, I don't. There's just the informant stories. I don't really know because um, I was in the blue room type building, but it just the part I saw just looked like an office. I think there's laboratories and things like that. And I also thought there were probably I mean, I'm sure there's underground storage under it because it has really high classified stuff in it. And so um, it'd be real compartmentalized. And I think most, hardly anybody gets into that building too. So I don't know. There's just the form informant stories. Right. Um, is there any other uh, stories from informants uh, you find to be quite uh, profound or intriguing? I guess it's been more explored by other people than me. I just sort of tried to go around and check out things <laughs> where other people had said there might be something going on. Um, there's stories in different places. One of them is Hangar 18, and that's been usually identified as, these build, as this building 18 that uh, is inside um, the secured area. But I talked to somebody that um, was old-time type Dayton person, and he said it was an actual hangar and pointed out which one it was in the group of hangars. And so I looked up information on the hangars, and these were there in 1947. And the runway was right by these hangars back in 1947. So that it's possible that um, I, I had some good information that was pretty hardcore that they brought Roswell debris into Wright-Patterson. And that would be a logical place to unload it because that was right by the runway. And then maybe Building 18 was where they took it after that. Very interesting. Uh, now, you've also done a lot of research into the original Project Blue Book. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think it was mainly a uh, debunking or disinformation campaign? Uh, or do you think they were genuinely trying to get, uh, you know, information behind the phenomenon? I think there were two parts of it. I think there was the public part, and I think it was debunking. But I think there was another part that was classified that they were trying to figure out what was going on with the UFOs. Now, oh, in the on. end, you think it, it just turned out to be, you know, more of a debunking uh, type of a project. That's what it seemed to kind of end up being. Um, and they moved everything else to other black projects after that, right? Yeah. And it's, I mean, I can't imagine that they just threw everything away and discarded it. I imagine they moved into other black projects. Um, 
but I think they were actually, it started out, Project Blue Book, it started out as um, Project Sign, way back before they turned, changed the name into Blue Book. And Project Sign was pretty scientific, and they came to conclusions that the UFOs may be extraterrestrial or something that we just don't understand, which is not the conclusion that Project Blue Book came to. It came, it said, I think it came to the conclusion that there's nothing dangerous about UFOs or whatever, that they're not national security. And it, I don't know how they could possibly conclude that when they don't know what they are. But <laughs> it seemed like it started out as Project Sun. They did a real, their components of that were pretty um, scientific. And then it turned into Project Grudge, which was debunking. And then Blue Book, which I think actually tried to, the classified part was trying to figure out more about UFOs, and the public part was debunking them. Now, have you found any information about Project Blue Book that most people in the public may not have heard about? Well, I worked at Battelle Memorial Institute, and there who did the a study of UFOs called the Spatial Report Number 14. and um, it was a real good study that used all the um, information collected from Project Blue Book and uh, Battelle Memorial Institute is a um, scientific research organization and they hired real top scientists to do this and this was a top secret component of Project Blue Book. And they, what their objective was is to understand UFOs. And they took the reports from Project Blue Book. They had about um, 13,000 and um, just took about 3,000 of the best ones and did a scientific analysis where they, um, they took real specific things the real concrete things and developed a questionnaire where they could get a lot of detailed information from the um, reports and had people fill out reports. And so these included such things as color, number, duration of observation, brightness, shape, and speed, and things like that that were fairly concrete. I mean, if you saw it for a while, you'd be able to know what color it was and how many you saw and that sort of thing. And um, they had to develop this questionnaire to get real good uh, information, like hardcore information. And then um, they did a statistical study on that. And what they discovered was is that they statistically compared these characteristics between ob objects that had never been, they'd never been able to identify and ones that were later identified and used these two categories and compared them statistically by chi-square, which is a standard statistical method. And they turn out really, really significantly different, which like one out of a billion, and I went through and recalculated, and I think it was more like one of a trillion chances that they are not prosaic um, objects, that UFOs are something different from airplanes and all that. But then there was a whistleblower that um, released a part of the study, and it became public. And then after that, they convened, um, well, it was before that, they were having the Robertson panel, and the Robertson panel was sort of set up by the government to debunk the whole thing. And um, they had some real top scientists that were well-known top scientists, but the scientists weren't anybody that knew anything about UFOs. And they, the data that they gave the scientists wasn't good. And what the, the whistleblower did was release a memo from one of the heads of the study saying that the data isn't ready yet, don't do this, don't have the, you know, and so they did it anyway and had the Robertson panel. And the Robertson panel decreed that UFOs don't exist, basically. 
they're no threat to national security or whatever, and they bunked the whole thing, which was now was just a setup because they wow. didn't have the data. Yeah, wow, that's very interesting. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you is something I find interesting about the whole phenomenon is how it it has changed over the decades. It seems like, uh, you know, in the 40s, 50s, it used to be just strictly saucers. Um, then we started seeing different things like Tic Tacs, and now we just sometimes we see these light ships and just these it looks like plasma and energy balls. Um, what do you think is going on with that? Do you think that the phenomenon kind of is connected to our consciousness like um, like researchers like Greg Cameron tend to think? I, I believe that as well. And it kind of changes along with the collective conscious of humanity. Or do you think it is just all different types of, I guess, craft that is out there? Or um, do you think that they appear differently to adjust with our um, – our technology, um, the way our technology advances. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that as we became as we become more advanced and know more technology, well, then we compare that to what's known about UFOs, and we apply our ideas of technology to UFOs and uh, interpret it different ways. I mean, like um, hundreds of years ago, they said meteors didn't exist and things, although everybody saw them. And then they decided that meteors exist and that sort of thing. And now, you know, if you saw a little glowing object, you'd call it an orb, or you saw a bigger one, it'd be a UFO. Well, I think it's something you interpret with your own um, knowledge. And... Um, it depends on the culture, and maybe UFOs are influencing the culture more than they're influencing individual people. Now, as far as what's going on today, um, do you think there is an intentional slow drip disclosure coming out of our government? Um, you know, we've had these leaks, such as the Admiral Wilson leak. We've got the To the Stars Academy supposedly working on exotic materials with the. Um, the Pentagon, um, and it just all seems very strange um, that you know we would have our government coming out and telling us about this, I, which I I don't trust myself. But I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Do you think it's a slow drip disclosure? Do you think that it's going to go anywhere, or do you think it's just another trend that we see over the decades? I'd say it's a little better than it used to be because the government was always saying, well, they don't exist. You're insane. You're crazy. And right. now they've, they do have that uh, Tic Tac object and everything, and it's on radar. And um, they've calculated that, like, it, the object was going at almost 13,000 G-forces and things like that. Um, and so they're disclosing a little bit. I mean, that's coming from the DIA. But I think, you know, just from my experience back then, I think the DIA has much better material than anything that's um, been disclosed. I mean, I, just because I worked there and I knew what they were doing, and I think, you know, it's way past what I was doing then, but I think they would have much better material than, they, you know, than they, anybody's released. What are your thoughts on um, that these ships, or whatever they are, um, may not be coming from a different planet or um, you know, some, some far-off uh, galaxy or something like that, that they may be traveling interdimensionally uh, just beyond our visible spectrum? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, when, I had my, when my sister and I had that experience we had, I did get a picture of the object. And I was a professional uh, photo analyst, analyst, and so I analyzed my photograph. And I couldn't understand it all at first, but I had a Polaroid, and it took a um, it took a time exposure. And in the time exposure, 
it, I got two blinks of it. The thing was blinking with the windows going off, but it was so far away, I, you couldn't see the individual windows, but I still could get two blinks. But the two blinks were funny because they were both composed of two traces instead of one. And all I saw was one. And so I concluded from that that there was a light there that wasn't in the visual range. And I checked with um, the Polaroid company, and they said, yes, a light in a certain range would be photographed, but you couldn't see it. And so I, and then also my sister had said that when, um, that when we stopped, that it had shown a light in the car. And so I thought at that time, there may be some, this was back a long time ago before lasers, when lasers were just barely known, so it wasn't laser that we thought about, but that maybe part of this is lasers um, technology way above us, but maybe some of it, like when UFOs disappear, when they travel at, you know, unbelievable speeds that, some of this may just be projection, projected images that we see when we, I mean, I don't know why they're giving us projected images, but I wonder about that. And um, so I think there's all kinds of possibilities besides just being craft. I mean, I'm sure there's craft, but <laughs> there may be a lot of other things too, and it may be a lot more advanced than, you know, physical craft like we think of. Definitely. And um, what about the possibilities of uh, the USOs, the underwater um, unidentified objects? Um, we hear a lot of accounts lately of objects traveling at very high speed and not slowing down to, to enter the water. Um, do you think that's possible that they could have some type of underwater um, civilization or, or something possibly like along those lines? Well, you see, it's hard to say what UFOs are to start with, whether they're in air or whether they're in water, because, um, you know, there's reports of things coming through walls and things like that. And if they come through walls, well, you know, they can go through water. And so you wonder exactly what, if there's some type of different matter or what exactly goes on. I mean, it's just going with by the reports. And like with my sister and I, we just woke up and this thing was in the room. Well, all the windows were shut and everything else. How did it get in the room? There wasn't a storm or anything going on. And things like that, you just wonder um, if they're exactly the type of material that we're, that we are sensitive to or whether there's something else. Very well said. And um, one final question for you before I let you go tonight. Have you ever had any, um, I guess you could say harassment or surveillance or anything odd happen to you possibly because of the research you're doing? <laughs> I had oh, off and on. Um, once um, when I was on at Wright-Patterson, I took photos of the buildings in the secured area and I was allowed on the base and I didn't ask anybody I just snuck around took pictures and then I published them in a UFO thing and um, which probably what I wasn't supposed to do but anyway just about a day or two after <laughs> I published them well I live next to a recreation area well this um, T-38 jet plane which is a supersonic jet came up along my road and dive bombed my house and it's oh, not wow. something you can i mean it dove right at my house and i could hear it and the house shook and everything and it, i just thought it was the end of the world right then and i didn't have any cameras loaded by got a camera loaded real fast and ran out and got a picture, and I lived by a recreation area where nobody should do anything like that. And there was a stunt pilot, and I got a picture of a stunt pilot and the jet. Then I ran back in, and the jet was still circling. 
and I managed to get a video camera uh, loaded real fast and got back out there. And I got a good picture of the jet, and I also got the stunt pilot in the same um, in the same film. And then I jumped over the fence and <laughs> was trying to get pictures. And my neighbors were standing out there with their mouths open, just a, you know, just as amazed as I was. And um, I asked them what was going on. And they had seen the whole thing. And they said, it dive-bombed your house. And so I got that on the film, too, which I was real happy about. And while I was talking to them, the, the thing was still circling. And I don't think it could have come from any place except Wright-Patterson. And, you know, I kind of wondered if something <laughs> – if somebody was telling me to stop or yeah, something. Yes, their way of telling you don't take pictures here. Yeah, but I got the whole thing, so anyway. <laughs> That's great. Well, Dr. Scott, thank you so much for coming on tonight. That was fascinating information, and I'd love to have you back on in the future. Well, thank you very much. I would certainly love to be on. Well, that would be great, and you enjoy the rest of your night.